0: Welcome to Shannon's Lumber Industry Update podcast. This is episode one, your Lumber Glossary. Today I want to define some more common terms you may find around the lumber area. I just realized I'm using air quotes there, which doesn't work real well, in an audio format. Yeah, what are you going to do? Well, there's a lot of you that have been to lumber yards a lot and you may understand some of these more common terms. If that's the case, I am hoping to kind of define a few of them and talk a little bit about the history of some of them. So we're not just using the terms, but understanding where they come from and why they are used. The lumber industry is full of all kinds of weird things that really have no cognates outside the industry. Every industry has its insider terminology. But I think the lumber industry as a whole has done everything they can to perpetuate that terminology and, in many ways, maybe even make it harder for its customers to understand what's going on. Uh, Maybe that's a little bit of bias, but we'll get to that. For the most part, though, the terms that we're going to be talking about, we're talking about hardwoods. Softwoods and their terminology, that's almost an industry unto itself. The softwood industry really is focused on construction materials. The two by four, two by eight, two by six type things. And the species isn't nearly as important. When you start talking about technical softwoods that are of a higher grade, uh, northeastern white pine and cypress and things like that, they actually tend to be treated more like hardwoods and how they are labeled, inventory, uh, dried, treated, all that stuff. So even though technically from a botanical perspective, cypress is a softwood, you will actually find that it's treated more like a hardwood in the industry. So I'm not gonna go heavily into that softwood side of things because of the fact that it really is a very different and frankly, very confusing, and it mostly relies upon the, the various grades and structural tendencies that come to the construction trade. There needs to be certain structural traits for a two x four in order to be a two x four or your wall may fall down. So again, we're gonna be talking primarily about hardwoods today. I also wanna talk about the differences between a wholesaler and a retailer. It's not just the size of the order. And there are a lot of lumber yards out there that are listed as wholesale only. And I know as a weekend woodworker myself, it used to be so infuriating to me. I could see all this lumber and yet I couldn't have access to it because I was not a wholesale customer. That is changing and it's changed a lot with the advent of the internet because the internet really doesn't care how big your order is. You can find any lumber yard and you can call up that lumber yard and say, I need... X board feet of lumber, haha, <laughs> board foot, there's another term we'll get to in a minute. Well, now that homeowners and contractors and architects and high-end builders and low-end builders and boat builders and guitar builders and all these folks basically have the same access to your inventory, where in the past you may have only been able to have access to that uh, inventory through a retailer, through a middleman, back to the distributor so wholesalers for the most part are one step up the supply chain from your retailer they don't really have a showroom it's not really a place where you would go and dig through the stacks and find whatever board you're looking for but that's not always the case. A lot of wholesalers, dependent upon who the customer is, will allow for this because maybe they are buying a larger quantity or maybe they're looking for very specific things and then buying a bunch of other uh, random lumber after that. For instance, we have several boat builders that come to our yard that sort through very specific packs of teak. They're looking for teak coverboards, is what we call them. Coverboards are very wide, very long boards. The cover boards on a boat are the boards that run along the starboard and port rail and run the length of the boat and come together? Um, uh, well, come to start together at the bow and come all the way together to the stern. So, in many instances, you want a wide board. On the nicer boats, that wide board is actually cut down the middle and split to, to port and starboard. So, you've got matching, almost like book match grain, on either rail of the boat. These boat builders will come and they'll sort through stacks of lumber to pick out just the right cover boards for their yacht, but then while they're there, they'll end up buying you know, 1,000, 2,000, 10,000 board feet of random width, random length teak in a certain grade. That is one of those acceptable things you may find in a wholesale yard. You may also find wholesale yards that will allow the, the small woodworker to come in and say, um, you know, sort through some some cherry to find the boards they're looking for. The same rules would apply there where you want to if you unstack anything, you want to stack it back. The difference between the retail yard and the wholesale yard in this case is you can't just show up unannounced at a wholesale yard. In many instances, the wholesale yard, first of all, they're not insured for walk-in traffic. And there are forklifts and lots of dangerous things running around all over the place. There's not even really parking for the retail customer. And I'm speaking specifically here of the wholesale yard that I work at and many of the others that I deal with. It's just not the place where you just kind of show up. Or if you do show up um, without being announced, you kind of wait in the waiting room while people go around and try to find some material and you may actually end up waiting for a while because there could be 100 200 orders ahead of you and the guys with the forklifts who actually bring the material out have a big long list of stuff that they're already pulling so if you do have a wholesale yard nearby that you do want to shop at call them and tell them what you're looking for and more than likely they can pull out a pack of lumber and set it aside and say okay When are you gonna come in? I'll be there at 11 o'clock on Tuesday. Great, we'll have the lumber waiting for you. You can go through it, pick what you need, and when you're done, stack it back neatly. And then at the end of the day, that lumber yard will then take that lumber and put it back into the sheds. This is very possible, but it requires that advanced notice for the wholesale yard. Now, there may be some wholesale yards that'll say, hell no, you can't do that. If that's the case, you take your business elsewhere. A retail yard, on the other hand, is going to have racks of lumber where you can go through each board. Some of the retail yards store their lumber vertically, others store it horizontally where you're looking at the end grain. And you can go through and pick out everything you're looking for. You have access to all the boards. In Some instances they may have some overstock that's stacked up somewhere else and you've got to get somebody with a forklift, but you don't have to call ahead. You can come in and just buy on the site. The other difference, the retail yard is probably going to go ahead and have a price list and they're going to list their prices by the board foot or in some instances by the linear foot. We'll get to those terms in just a minute. The wholesale yard doesn't really have price lists and this may tick some people off, but the prices, it depends. Because there's such a large volume of lumber at a wholesale yard, certainly there will be price breaks based upon the size of your order. But there are many, many, many things that affect the the price of that particular uh, species. Thickness, certainly, comes to mind. Eight quarter lumber is more expensive than four quarter lumber. We'll get to those quarter terms in just a minute. Width can play a factor. A board that's wider than eight inches can be more expensive than a board that's six inches. A board of a different grade is going to be more or less expensive than another grade how much material is left in that pack of lumber. So if you have a pack of lumber that's that's on inventory as a specific SKU number, and there's 120 board feet in it, you wanna come by 80 board feet. Well, if you buy 120 board feet, and in other words, we don't have to break that pack and put the remainder back in lumber, you probably can get a better deal on it. On the flip side, if there's a pack of 500 board feet of lumber, and all you want is that 80 board feet, you go through it, you pick out the choices boards, well that pack, say that pack is listed as a first and second or FAS grade lumber. Not every board in that pack is necessarily FAS. It's an average of the boards in the pack. So if you pull all the FAS boards out of there, what's left is a lesser grade material that can actually go down in price and this can devalue the stock a little bit. So that wholesaler is looking to try to sell as complete a pack as they can so they don't end up with a bunch of packs that are you know, less than grades or have all the, the nice stuff picked out of it. Now. I'm probably over exaggerating this, certain wholesale yards are going to, depends on how they buy, they're going to buy a lot more random width, random length packs. The higher end wholesale yards are going to be specifically buying a width spec and a length spec and looking for a high percentage of a certain grade. But that's not the same across the board. It really depends upon who that wholesaler is buying from and if it's an exotic or a domestic board. So this is a topic for a whole other podcast. What are the things that affect your pricing and what are some maybe tips and tricks to allow you to get better pricing? That's something for the future. Hopefully I just whet your appetite on that. But let's talk a little bit about what I just said, domestics versus exotics. This may be pretty obvious. If you're in the United States, domestics are materials that are grown here in North America. Exotics are materials that come from any of the other well, I was gonna say six continents, but there's really no lumber coming out of Antarctica. So the other five continents, anything that's not North America. Now, if you're in Australia, obviously Australian woods are domestic and U.S. woods are exotic. But you will hear a lot of lumber yards referring to domestic and exotic. And the reason I bring this up is there are actually different grading systems for domestic and exotic lumber, just like there are different grading systems for hardwoods and softwoods. Now, I skipped over that before, but let's talk about this. Hardwoods are woods that for the most part, lose their leaves. These are deciduous trees. I say for the most part, because there are some hardwoods that are evergreen. Magnolia comes to mind, because I'm looking at one outside my window right now. Softwoods are your evergreens. The tree's needle-bearing, coniferous, meaning they they have cones. Um, Of course, they have cones, they're coniferous. Your your evergreens, your pines, your firs, your spruces, Cypress is another one. So these are, they're different internal structures. Hardwoods have a pore structure whereas softwoods have a tracheid structure, and we're not really gonna go into that level of botany in this particular episode, but it's important to recognize just because it says it's a hardwood, it doesn't actually, for the most part, hardwoods are harder than softwoods, but you will find a lot of technically labeled, taxonomically labeled softwoods that actually can be harder than some hardwoods. Basswood, for example, is a very soft hardwood, and you'll find that southern yellow pine or Douglas fir can actually be quite hard as compared to many of the hardwoods. And Douglas fir and southern yellow pine, those are softwoods. Nice and confusing, right? When you go to a, a lumber yard, especially a lumber yard that has a wide variety of materials, you hear the term timber and you'll also hear boards. Timbers versus boards. Well, for the most part, a timber is a board that is greater than six inches by six inches. It's a more of a post that's meant for like timber framing. So your six by eights, your eight by eights, your 12 by 12, those are timbers. Four by four is kind of towing the line and for the most part we're still referring to that as a board. Which brings me to the other point. When we start talking about thickness, a lumber yard will refer to the thickness as four quarter, five quarter, six quarter, eight quarter, 10 quarter, 12 quarter, 16 quarter. You don't really find a lumber yard, a lot of lumber yards that have 32 quarter. Do the math, 32 divided by four is eight. That's eight inches, that's really a timber. When you're talking about timbers, the four quarter, et cetera terminology kind of goes out the window because timbers tend to already be sized to a specific uh, size because they are used really for timber framing. But let's talk about that quarter terminology. Where the heck does that come from? Why can't they just say it's one inch? Why can't they say it's one and a quarter inches instead of five quarter? I did some research on this a couple years ago and I ended up talking to probably 15 of the sawmills that we deal with on a daily basis. A couple of them, these guys have been sawing lumber. They were like fourth or fifth generation sawyers, had a lot of history in their sawmill going back hundreds of years and no one could definitively tell me this is where the quarter terminology came from. But I had eight or nine guys all say, this is what I think it came from, and they said it independently of one another, so that's what I'm going with. When you look at a sawmill, and we're referring to like a, a vertical bandsaw mill or a circular sawmill, not a horizontal mill, like my buddy Matt Cremona has. The difference with the vertical mills is the log sits on a carriage and the carriage moves left to right. In other words, as you advance the log into the blade, you move the carriage to the right and it takes off a slab and the slab falls off because it's vertical and it tips off to the side. A horizontal mill, you're actually lowering the saw head into the log, you're not moving the log itself. And the reason I bring this up is on the carriage of a vertical sawmill, there are little detents. Imagine a miter saw, whether powered or a hand miter saw, there's a little detents that click the saw, the carriage in place at 90 degrees. And then there's one that clicks it in at 22 and a half degrees and 45 degrees. Those little detents are on a log carriage that stop right at a quarter of an inch. And then every quarter inch thereafter, there is a detent. So the Sawyer, when he wanted to saw one inch thick lumber, he pushed the log carriage out to the fourth quarter, the fourth detent. Fourth quarter, four quarter. And that was one inch lumber. needed one and a half inch lumber you pushed it out to the sixth quarter or six quarter lumber and this is where this comes from now again if there's someone out there who could say that's wrong this is where it came from i would love to hear it because i seriously put a lot of research into trying to figure this out and the the term is so old going back several hundred years that there really was no one that could tell me for sure this is what it comes up with but Even today, even though there's more band saw mills being used than circular saw mills, those vertical mills still have that detent system every quarter of an inch on the track. Now, since we're talking about four quarter and five quarter, et cetera, these numbers come up when referring to rough lumber. And if you ever look at a pack of lumber, sometimes you'll see RGH stamped on the end or on a tag. Or if you look at a price list at a retail yard, you will see RGH in there. RGH refers to rough sawn lumber take a hand saw and rip a board with it and that surface is a lot rougher than what you would expect to find from say your table saw. Likewise if you take a really really big circular saw it's going to make an even rougher cut. Water break. So when you are sawing very, very large boards, logs rather, into boards, you're using a saw with a very low tooth count that's going to cut very aggressively, and it's going to produce a very rough surface. Now there's a lot of people that say rough saw and lumber is is very uneven. The saw uh, has a much wider curve, it leaves an uneven surface. For the most part, I don't know that that's necessarily true anymore. A lot of the sawmills now are highly tuned machines and they cut a pretty straight line. Where you may see some differences or undulations on a rough sawn surface comes from the drying process and not actually from the saw. So many sawmills will specifically oversize the boards they're cutting. If you're cutting four quarter lumber, that detent is not actually at one inch. It's usually around one and three sixteenths or one and an eighth because they expect, the sawyer expects that lumber to shrink as it's dried. But As far as the term rough is concerned, that's what we're talking about. This is not a surfaced board. It is a very rough surface that will have to be jointed and or planed later. Another term you're going to see on a lot of these lumber inventory tags and price lists is KD. That refers to kiln dried. Next to that, you may also see AD or air dried. These are states of drying. Obviously, air dried is just set out and dried in the air. For the most part this is going to refer to something that's anywhere from 12 to 16 percent moisture content it may be lower than that but it's not required to be lower than that if it is lower than that you are in a desert climate um, on the east coast where i am in maryland uh, if you air dry lumber and just leave it out there for however long it takes it will generally uh equilibrate is that a word <laughs> it'll even out at about 12 to 14 percent and this is what you're going to find with a lot of air dried lumber. Kiln dried lumber, at least in North America, specifically states that it must be 6 to 8 percent moisture content. Now I say North America because in Europe where the climate is much wetter it's actually 12 to 15 percent and I'll talk a little bit about that later, not later in this episode, in a future episode when we start talking about importing lumber and the journey that boards take on that import trail. Needless to say, when material comes in from Europe, we have to in North America re dry it down to 6 to 8%, or we cannot call it kiln dried. This is a standard, an industry standard. If it says KD, it is 6 to 8%, or this is important, or it was 6 to 8% at one point. As I said earlier, air dried lumber in the, on the East Coast, where it's a lot more humid, will tend to even out at 12% you may pull a board out of the kiln and it's a 6%, but if it sits on a lumber shed, it will slowly start to climb back up to 10%, 12%. And that's something that a lumber yard needs to take in account. If their turn rate, how fast they sell their boards, is really, really slow on certain species, they may have to watch what happens with the moisture content and, if necessary, put it back in a kiln or move it to a climate-controlled storage. You will find some climate control yards, but for the most part, lumber yards are not climate controlled. That would be very expensive, but also probably very harsh on the lumber itself. You would rather it come into equilibrium with the climate around it than to purposely keep it in a preternaturally dried state, because then the minute the customer takes it, it's going to start soaking up moisture really quickly. If it's at equilibrium when the customer buys it, it's going to do a lot less moving once they start working with it assuming they stay in a relatively local region. Another thing you're gonna find on some of these tags is rw slash rl, or just one or the other, rw or just rl. This refers to random width and random length. Many packs of lumber are not sorted by length or width at all. It's just everything that comes off the log and many sawmills will saw up, you know, say 10 logs of the same species and throw all the boards into one container and ship it out and there's no attempt to keep track or sort anything, a lumber yard will buy random width, random length, because you can get it a lot cheaper, because that extra labor that's required to sort material or saw to certain lengths or widths is not done. You're just sawing what comes out, you're, excuse me, you're just stacking what comes off the log, what comes off the saw carriage, throwing it in a container in the back of a truck, and you're buying it that way. It's just a way to cut out some additional labor and save some money. The lumber yard may put it on a rack and say, this is random width, random length. It's up to you to spend the labor hours to, to sort what you're looking for. Or some lumber yards will buy random width and random length to save money, do the work on their end where they can control quality and grading a little bit more, or recognize that maybe there's some more material that are more effort like drying that needs to happen or surfacing before it actually becomes available for sale for the customer. That's up to that particular lumber yard what they want to do, what kind of material they want to present to their customer. Now, dimensioning of these boards, and I got into this in Wood Talk one time and caused a little bit of an argument, but in the industry, dimensions of boards are always thickness by width by length, four quarter by six by 18 feet. You will find that some people like to put the length first. Mark Spagnolo, I'm looking at you. (laughs) This is also pretty common out west. So maybe it's not entirely Mark's fault because he was in California and Arizona for a while. But for the most part, every single lumber yard that I have dealt with in the 10 years that I've been working for McElvain Lumber has always referred to it as thickness by width by length, four quarter by eight by eight. And the reason that I I specifically use that example, four quarter by eight is you could transpose those numbers and eight inches and eight feet could be very different things. So I bring this up because when you are actually looking to buy some lumber, it's important that you and your lumber dealer understand exactly what you're talking about. And if you're transposing those widths and lengths and thicknesses a whole bunch, it can get very confusing very quickly. So try to keep it within that thickness by width by length dimension when you're talking to people. So that brings me to some of the shorthand you may see. You walk into a lumber yard, you see a pack of lumber, or you say, hey, I'm looking for some four quarter cherry. The guy will say, no problem over there, we got a four quarter, six, eight, six, eight, eight up. And you're like, say what now? You say, what now? Four quarter, six, eight, six, eight, eight up. That refers to four quarter thickness, six to eight inches in width, six to eight feet in length, with the average being eight feet, six, eight, eight up. In other words, the average is eight and over. You may also find four quarter, six, eight, eight up, six, eight, eight up. In other words, six to eight inches width, eight inch average width, six to eight feet feet length, eight foot average length. This is getting down that rabbit hole, but it is something you will run into a fair bit, because six to eight inches is a very common size, and there's a lot of people who specifically want to try to stock a little bit heavier width and heavier length, so they will push for an average of eight inches or eight feet. You will also find certain species that are grouped by how they're cut, whether they're flat-sawn, rift-sawn, or quartered. Now, for the most part all lumber is gonna be flat sawn. There are some specific species, white oak comes to mind, red oak comes to mind, certainly some of the exotics like Sapili, um, they are specifically sawn to be rift and quartered. From a domestic perspective, there's not a lot of people specifically sawing any domestic species other than the oaks to be rift and quartered. Rift oak and quartered white oak and red oak tend to be used for flooring in many instances or um, panels and wider doors or rails and styles and doors where you're looking for uh, a more pleasing and a more dimensionally stable rail and style. So you may have a nine quarter uh, rift white oak or quartered white oak board. You can, that doesn't mean you can't find rift and quartered in other species, but that just kind of happens. As you're sawing a log, you're going to end up with boards that are rift and quartered. So let's look a little bit closer at this. Flat sawn, otherwise known as plain sawn, otherwise known as through sawn, if you take a log and just run a blade right through it, you're going to end up with a cross section that is essentially a part of that log. So the round um, growth ring is running around a log and you just cut a board out of there, you're gonna have a little bit of round in one edge, you're gonna have a tighter rounds as you come towards the middle and rounds on the other side. Rift is where when you look at the end of the board, those growth rings are running diagonally from corner to corner. And what that gives you is perfectly straight grain on all four faces of that board. It can be very attractive for cabinetry, uh, for leg stock. Um, You will find it in some flooring stock, but it's a little bit overkill because flooring stock is really only meant to be viewed on one face. You don't see the edges or the bottom face. But the thing is, quartered material has the grain running perpendicular to the wider face of the board. This is a very dimensionally stable cut of lumber because wood moves across the growth rings, along the growth rings, I should say. So on a flat sawn board, where the growth rings are running parallel to that wide face, the board is going to expand and contract across its width. On a quarter board, where the growth rings are running through the thickness of the board, That board is not going to expand very much at all across its width, but expand across its thickness. And wood movement is a percentage game. Say the the tangential movement along the grain movement of a species is 4%. Well, 4% of a three inch board is much smaller than 4% of a 12 inch board the wider the board, the more in inches it's actually going to move because of that percentage gain. So when you think about quartered material, unless you have a six inch thick board, in which case we know that would be a timber, not a board, that is not going to move very much. Your typical four quarter board being one inch thick is going to move very little. If you know it's a 4% movement, well, what's 4% of an inch? Not very much movement, especially once you dimension and surface that down to something that's closer to three quarters of an inch, it's a very stable board, and that's why people really like quarter sawn boards. Quarter sawn can also produce some very attractive effects. In a lot of exotics that have interlocked grain, you'll get that ribbon stripe look that you find in Sapele and some mahoganies. Um, ray fleck, medullary rays, that's, those are, if you look at the end of a log and look at it like a wheel, the medullary rays are the spokes on that wheel. The medullary rays is what moves nutrients from the outer layers, the sapwood, into the inner dimensions, or the heartwood. It transports those nutrients in and out of the tree along those medullary lines. When you quarter saw on board, you're actually cutting across those medullary rays and leaving that medullary ray fleck on the surface. Have you ever looked at figured white oak or red oak and you see that flecking on the surface? That's what we're talking about because oaks have very, very large medullary rays. Whereas maple has very, very small medullary rays. If you quarter sawn a maple board, you will see them, but many times you have to use like a magnifying glass to really see them, or you just don't know really what you're looking at because they're so small. But as I said earlier, you can still find quarter sawn cherry or rift sawn cherry or quarter sawn maple or rift maple. Those just happen as they are sawing up the log. Depending on where that board is coming out of the log, the grain will intersect that thickness in a, flat, rift, or quartered presentation. So if quarter sawn is growth rings running at 90 degrees to the surface down to about 75 degrees, some people are tightening that to 80 degrees. Rift is anywhere from 75 to 45 or, well, some people will go down to 35 degrees to the surface. And then flat sawn is gonna be under 35 degrees. The growth rings are running under 35 degrees to the surface, those are the technical definitions. Moving along. Straight line ripped or ripped one edge. This is also something you're gonna find in a lot of priceless. This is exactly as it sounds. They have taken that board and run it through a, a rip saw, a straight line rip saw that will produce a perfectly straight line. This is not a jointer. This is a table saw. Imagine if you were running a table saw, but instead of bumping your board up against the fence, which as we know on rough saw and lumber could be a recipe for kickback. But say you have a sled and you are securing that board to the sled and the sled has a perfectly flat straight edge. Now that sled runs against your fence and the board being held in place on the sled is going to cut a straight, perfectly straight line on that board. This is what a straight line rip saw does. It's essentially a carriage that runs through saw blades. There are many straight line rip saws that actually have gang setups that may have four and five circular saws in one end. You can take a wider board and actually rip it into four pieces all in one pass. In that case, you're getting straight line two edges because you've got bore, saws running in parallel to one another. You can also have boards that are in-trimmed the same way. Imagine two circular saws running in parallel to one another but they're eight feet, nine feet, 10 feet apart. And as you run the board through, it's actually cutting it exactly to eight feet or, or whatever that distance is that you've set up on the in-trimmer. This is something that is can be advantage to a lot of lumber, especially in wider boards that may have live edges or bark, or wane on the edge. If you can straight line rip it, you've got a reference edge that you can work off of. Skip planing is something you'll hear a lot of. When you run a board through a planer, say you've got the planer set for like a light cut. You know, in, in a wood shop like mine, a light cut can be a 64th of an inch. <laughs> a light cut at a commercial lumber yard is like 16th of an inch, maybe an eighth of an inch. Um, if you have a board that has a fair amount of bow to it, or cup to it, you'll have areas where the planer knives actually skip over the surface because the board is too low for that particular setting. When you skip plane a board, you just run it through and whatever comes out the other side, whether there's rough sawn, skipped areas left or not, you will sell the board as is. This is just a quick way to kind of quickly get some some surface to the board, give you a little bit of a reference surface, but not go so far as to remove everything and get a nice pretty surface. Skip planing is something that, can save you a little bit of money. Personally, I don't understand it much because most people take that board and then go and plane it even further. And I think all of us would rather buy the rough lumber and plane it ourselves and control that quality control than having a board that's hit and missed. That's another word for skip-planning is hit or miss-planed. It's just one of those things that's left over from the lumber industry that I imagine will probably start to go away as quality demands continue to go up. Um, while we're talking about surfacing, other terms you will hear are S4S, surfaced on four sides, or S2S, surface on two sides. And this is when you run it through that planer and you get that nice surface, then you flip the board in for in and run it through again, you now have two faces that are surfaced and parallel to one another. S4S, you have four surfaces that are parallel to one another and square to one another. S4S is a very different process than S2S. There are many planers that actually have knives on both sides and can cut two faces at the same time, but for the most part, the industrial planers are the same as the planer you, may, you or I may have in our shop where it just planes one surface at a time. S4 actually requires a molder. There are four cutter heads, at least four cutter heads in this instance, and as a rough board is passed through, there's a cutter head cutting the top face, the bottom face, the right edge, and the left edge all at one time. This is a molded product that comes out that is perfectly flat and square on all four edges. I shouldn't say perfectly. If there is a long bow on that board, that bow will still be there. This is not a jointer. This is a planer or a molder. Um, uh, Molder acting very much like a shaper or a router where you've got rotary bits that are spinning in here. Um, If you are producing a complex molded profile like a crown or some sort of stacked fluted molding or something like that, you may bring six or eight different cutters to bear on that one pass. So you're actually coming, starting with a rough board and coming out with a finished board on the other end. Some instances, there are two uh, rotary knives doing the same cut, but one's a little bit deeper than the other one, so you're not taking off too much material. In other instances, all eight of those blades are doing a different part of the cut. You're ending up with a very complex uh, molded profile that comes out the backside. But even that S4S board is still listed as a molded profile board. The reason I bring this up is S4S lumber will be more expensive, maybe not substantially, but certainly noticeably more expensive than S2S because there's a lot more setup that goes into it. You're also ending up with less variety in your boards. If you have a lot of random width lumber, You can't just take and and you've got a a a molder set up to give you a six inch wide board you can't just take an eight inch board and shove it in there that's going to be too much material to take off so somebody's got to go and straight line rip that to closer to six inches so you're not removing so much material likewise the thicknesses all have to be kind of the same so anytime you're changing the setup on a molder there's a fair amount of time that's involved in setting that up And anytime you have to stop and change things that affects production and can run up the price. So now let's talk about board footage. Board feet, linear feet. This is the one that confuses a lot of people. In simple terms, a board foot is a cubic measure. It's a measure of volume. A board foot is one foot long by 12 inches wide by one inch thick. And the reason that this started and for the most part, when you go to a lot of wholesale yards, you won't see things listed in board feet, but MBF, or per thousand board foot. MBF stands for thousand board foot. Because a pack of lumber, say 500 to thousand board feet, or one MBF, a thousand board feet would be one MBF, that is a cubic measurement. And that cubic measurement takes up a certain percentage inside a tractor trailer. Or inside a shipping container on on a ship, we know that we can put X number of board feet based upon volume, based upon volume and weight, into a shipping container and bring it across the roads of North America, or on a, on an ocean liner. All of that material is brought in by volume and the grade and the widths and the lengths and all that stuff in between can be very mixed, but the outer cubic dimension of that has a certain dimension and a certain weight based upon the dryness and the species of that. It simplifies the shipping manifests a lot more when you're working in a cubic volume and that is really why The lumber industry was always referred to things as as volume rather than square or lineal dimensions. And that has just perpetuated through the centuries. And I said this on Wood Talk um, about a year ago, but I'm a firm believer that the board foot and its terminology is actually a dying thing. We're finding less and less people truly understand what that is, and the only people that really understand it are lumber industry insiders. And frankly, if none of your customers understand what you're talking about, and you're trying to sell them something in that particular unit and they don't understand it, the only thing that results from that is the customer feeling like, I just got taken for a ride. And the more savvy lumber yards, and you'll see this on a lot of retail yards, are starting to price their boards by the board or by the linear foot. And if you have an eight foot long board, that's eight linear feet. Go to like a Home Depot or a Lowe's and you'll notice all their hardwoods are pl- priced by the linear foot, not by the board foot, because nobody at a Home Depot or a Lowe's, including the employees, knows what a board foot is, nor are they equipped to measure what that board foot is. So yes, when you start shopping at, at quote real lumber yards, they will be speaking and their price lists will be phrased in a board foot perspective. So it's important that you understand what a board foot is. The rule of thumb I like to use is a 6 uh, four quarter by six by eight board is going to be four board feet. Simple, because it's six inches, it's half of that 12 required for a board foot. So you take your total footage, divide it by two, eight divided by two is four, four board feet. An eight quarter by six by eight foot board is going to be eight board feet. If you just memorize those two things, you pretty much can get close to your board footage um, just picking the boards out. Lumber, the, the lumber guys that are there are certainly going to help you. You can also bring along any kind of calculator to help you calculate your board footage. But I'm, I am really, this is a topic for a future episode. I know I keep saying that, but hey, we're on the first episode. There's lots to talk about. There's going to be a real shift, I think, in many of you who listen to this podcast and how you're going to start shopping for lumber. And I want to give you some tips to make things a lot easier for how you shop for lumber. Long story short, showing up saying I need 20 board feet is probably not the best way to do this. You can get 20 board feet, but I think you'll end up being more disappointed than you are happy with that. So it's important that you understand what a board foot is and understand what a linear foot is and why that volumetric measurement is there. Why it's still there, I can't really answer other than stubbornness. (laughs) Finally, when you start looking for lumber, you're going to see lumber referred to by a botanical name which is its taxonomic Latin name, black cherry, Prunus serratina, or its trade name, cherry, or in some instances, American black cherry, if you're really specific. You may even find a brand name. The uh, botanical would be Tabebuia serratifola, or Tababuya, well, let's just go Tababuya serratifola. The trade name would be Ipe, but the brand name could be Ironwood. And the reason I bring this up is because there are a lot of, there's a lot of confusion out there. Don't even get me started on the mahoganies. Everything's called mahogany because from a marketing perspective, ooh, mahogany, it's rich and luxurious. I have many leather-bound books and shelves of rich mahogany. Well, you're gonna sell more mahogany because it's got mahogany in the name. Well, it turns out that, that Kaya enthoteca is actually African mahogany that's absolute crap as compared to the Kaya senegalensis or the Kaya ivorensis. These are all different species, the Kaya being the genus, the ivorensis being the species. That's the uh, Kaya from the Ivory Coast region. I'm getting specific on a particular um, species here, but if you're going to a lumber yard and you know what you're looking for, I'm looking for American black walnut, and you happen to know that it's Juglans nigra is the, the taxonomic name for that, you actually, when you go to really good lumberyards, you may find several different species of walnut. Or you may find sitting next to the walnut, butternut, which is also in the Euglen's genus and is a close cousin to walnut, which is why in many instances, the trade name of butternut, in addition to being butternut, is also white walnut. And We start to go down the rabbit hole when we start talking about botanicals and trade names and brand names, but it's important that you understand that many of the boards and the species we buy go by totally different names in different parts of the world and even different parts of the country. So having a good understanding of what those names are can help fight some of that confusion, but having to understand that that botanical name, that Latin taxonomic name, can really help you cut to the chase and make sure you're getting exactly what you need. That was a whirlwind. That was a lot of different terms. There's probably some that I'm missing. So those of you out there listening in podcast land, if there's a term that you've seen in the lumber yard and you don't know what it was, or there's one that you think other people should know that, that I missed, please let me know. As always, if you go to lumberupdate.com slash contact, you will find our contact form and you can submit a question, submit a feedback, I almost said kickback, I gotta get on wood talk habits. Or you can record a voice memo on your smartphone and email it to lumberupdate at gmail.com. I want to hear from you. I want to hear what terms I missed, what terms you have questions about. And if you have some stories about where a term went wrong, I want to hear that as well. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you next time.